0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome tonight to Connecting Conversations, where once again, we'll spend half an hour connecting with a special guest as we chat about Sunday Sermon and life experience in general, experience of uh, of faith and connecting with God. Tonight, our special guest is Herna Conradi. Welcome, Herna. It's lovely to have you with us and good to have you as part of the show.
1: Thank you very much for this opportunity, Stuart.
0: Fantastic.
1: If you want to sit at the other end, the previous nights I was listening to all those amazing journeys. So I hope I'm not letting anyone down.
0: Not at all. It'll be lovely just to hear some of your experiences and uh, some of your reflections as you share with us a little of your journey of faith and and how things have, um, how you've experienced God in this world. To give a, a short introduction, friends, Herna is uh, very involved in, in all sorts of things, actually. We couldn't, uh, we won't spend time listing them, Herna. That'll take the half an hour. But um, in addition to many roles that Herna plays in, uh, in Bundaberg and so on, Herna is an elder in our, in our church, as well as a lecturer in, uh, in the university and a coordinator for the STEPS course, which, uh, which does a lot of, um, helps a lot of people as they enter into uni. Herna, would you um, tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us a little bit about your family, your work, your interests, your your hobbies.
1: Well, I was uh, born in Kruinstadt in South Africa, in the Orange Free State, and um, grew up on a farm with a mom who's a teacher and a dad who was a chartered accountant. So that's where I got my love for mathematics and numbers. It didn't always go that well with the maths, but with my dad's persistence and perseverance, he got me to develop that, that love for mathematics. And I think that led me into the interest to becoming a teacher who really cares about the development of students and to also know that some students learn in different ways and um and Yes, so I, I really, I have a brother and uh, we really enjoyed life on the farm and uh, then went to university in Bloemfontein which is the city of roses. I haven't been there for a long time, so I've heard that it has changed a lot, so I don't know what it looks like anymore. Right. And uh, my brother is still in South Africa and uh, yep, we immigrated in 2004 to the town of Bundaberg and we found (laughs) out that it's pronounced Bundaberg
0: right fantastic and uh, a little bit about your own family
1: so I'm uh, excuse me I'm married to Andre who's a cardiologist in Bundaberg and I have five daughters and uh, they range from 24 to 16, uh, soon to start driving, which is going to be my last little
0: nightmare. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, good luck with that, Herna. Um Herne, as we begin this uh, this conversation, and uh, before we get into some of the specifics of the sermon, one of the, the nicest parts I enjoy of these conversations is just hearing a little bit of 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 your own faith journey how did you uh, tell us a little bit about your own experience of christ and and how you came to faith and and the role god plays in your life and in your work
1: i spent quite a lot of time with my grandmother on the farm on my father's side and um, they were regular church goers and very involved in in church life as well and um, one evening I went to a, a service and uh, it was the, the, the minister was really talking about giving your life to God and, you know, it's, it's really important to invest in, in God. And um, I was a very shy and timid little girl and I just looked at my grandmother and I said to her, you know what, I really want to give my, my life to God and dedicate my life to God.
0: At such a young age.
1: And and she was very surprised that I had the guts to stand up. And I looked at her, I stood up, and I walked to the front to give my heart to God. And uh, she said that at the time, she didn't know what was happening. And she thought, wow, that will look really bad if she didn't get up with me. (laughs) And since that day, I was really... Con, well, I was really concerned about people around me that I cared for and cared about that they wouldn't follow the same path. But that's how I became um, connected to God and tried to follow in the way that He set out for me.
0: That's amazing. How that, um, has that has that connection kind of? Uh, how has that connection grown? I mean, do you feel that in your in your life and in your work?
1: I always said that uh, my family and I will serve God. <clears throat> and I was very, um, well, I think God gave me a really good gift when he uh, brought Andre and myself together, uh, who is also a, a deep Christian, and we could raise our family uh, in a Christian home. I think um, I have just grown as a Christian. I, I uh, got involved in a lot of um christian activities at school at university and also in my in my everyday life i always seek for god's guidance and because i work with people who are not always believers and i think that sometimes they on their journeys feel that something's lacking and i think that's what you were talking about in your sermon on mm. on sunday there's something that they crave for but they don't always know what it is that they are craving for and I think that uh, many of them are looking for some stability, something to connect to and something not just to connect to but they're looking for something to belong to and uh, in my life I really want to try and, and connect with people in a way that I could help them to find their purpose and I I really rely on God's guidance and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to help me to help those that I work with.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Hannah. Um, just to put a comment up there um, from Jeff Savage saying that he remembers baptizing Elaine in 2004. <clears throat> now she's about to start driving. So, yeah, nice to have you watching, Jeff, and uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Um Herna, the concept of the soul we've been looking at over the last uh, few weeks in our sermon series, how do you understand the soul and has that understanding changed since being five years old and and feeling that connection with God?
1: I think as a, as a child we really believe without condition and yeah. that's why God says, you know, it's much easier for a child uh, to enter the kingdom of God. I think we we don't ask too many questions we just believe unconditionally and um I think as we as we grow as adults we start to reason science becomes part of our lives and there's a lot of debate around how the world existed and came about and I think you know you you go through all those type of thoughts and uh develop, developments in your mind But I think I never really as a child thought about soul as such. But I think if I have to reflect on my thinking about soul now, it's that deepest, deepest center of who makes us, you know, that individual that was created by God. Mm. And I think, you know, our relationship with God also grows through that belonging and who we really are.
0: Fantastic, yeah. Absolutely. That deep sense of that connectedness is um, something that keeps coming up in, in uh, the interviews. In the many different ways that you serve God, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about, um, about helping others find uh, their purpose. Um, is this the aspect that resonates most with within your soul? Is, or, or maybe I can ask it this way. what What makes you feel most connected to God?
1: It's that I know, Stuart, that God has given me a gift to connect with people around me, but I also know that I can't do that by myself and I am reliant on on his guidance. And it's amazing sometimes how God paths the ways to talk to people and to connect to people, and I think also the, the way how people open up about their deepest inner feelings and their deepest inner fears and desires, and then just, you know, having God's guidance there to help them to find their purpose, because I think that God has placed each and every one of us on this earth with a purpose, and we've got to find that purpose. And I think without that purpose, we can't have true happiness, and part of that purpose is that connection with God as well to fulfill the purpose that we have.
0: And in the, in the line of work that you do at the, at the uni, there's certainly um, opportunity for that. Uh, um, I know you shared with me before just how, how many of the students are coming specifically because um, they're looking for that purpose and, and perhaps have messed it up in, in, in earlier years
1: absolutely and it's it's amazing to see how many students have uh, as you said messed up a first and second chance and then as they mature they realize that you know deep inside they are longing for something they know that they are capable of doing more and uh, it's really amazing when i connect with people and with the students in particular the most Center uh, or the, the the biggest thing that they have at the center of their desire is to help people. Although right. we live in a in a in a world that we see as very selfish and self-centered, but these students are there because someone in their lives have played a very or someone has played a very big role in their lives, and they want to give back. They want to give back to the world, and they want to give back to people and help them. And there are so many different ways in which they want to do that.
0: Oh, that's that's amazing. That's fantastic. And you hear the kind of, um, it, it makes me think of God being at work in people's souls, even if they don't know that he's doing that, which is awesome.
1: That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Friends, if you uh, would like to comment, please join in the conversation. You're welcome to uh, add comments in, and we'll deal with them as and when they come up. Uh, It'll be great to hear from you. To get into the sermon, Herna, um, this is the fourth in the sermon series of soul keeping, where we've looked at how to care for the most important part of ourselves. And uh, and in the series, just a brief uh, recap, we've looked at the nature of the soul and what a healthy soul looks like. We've looked at the spirit and the soul, and then we moved into what the soul needs. The soul needs a center. And uh, this past Sunday, we looked at the fact that um, the soul needs or rather craves the presence of God now and in the future. And I started off the sermon by talking about... some of Debbie's cravings in pregnancy. And I couldn't, I had to throw this question in there. I thought, you, you've you got five daughters. There must have been some some pretty strange cravings.
1: You won't believe it. It was vanilla slice with every single one. And I still love vanilla slice, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I, I must be pregnant hard. because I'm craving that too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I find it very hard to walk past a, a good vanilla slice.
0: Oh, Lovely. On a more serious note, uh, yeah, no. the idea of craving—that um, really does uh, describe the soul's un, almost unstoppable desire. A little bit of what you were talking about with some of the students, where they have this um, this desire uh, to help people. There's this a, a craving that God puts deeply um, within us. You've worked and helped those—not uh, just students, but many people over the years. Have there been times when you've seen that craving um, specifically for God in their lives and and perhaps seen them trying to fill it with other things?
1: Absolutely. I have had many students who you have shared with me that uh, they really know that they have to get back to church and connect to God, and uh, but they don't know anyone at church and they don't feel comfortable going into an environment that's unfamiliar to them. Um, And I think sometimes, you know, they they do take that step forward, but I think they're very scared because they just feel out of place. But I think uh, they do crave that specific connectedness and belonging to something bigger than any of us. And I think, you know, I can reflect in my own life when I was in my second year, um, I always had a really good connection with God throughout my, my time as a student. But in my second year, my dad had a renal failure. And actually at the end of my first year, and um, he was on dialysis, and he had to apply or be on a list to get a a donor kidney.
0: Right.
1: So for that to happen, um, he had to move to a bigger city, Johannesburg, and so my parents, from a small little town in in near Kruenstadt, they had to move to uh, an area in Johannesburg called Hillbrow. And right. I think you know, if you talk about Hillbrow, you would know that it's not the the most glamorous area in Johannesburg. It's not always very safe. So they had to move to Johannesburg, uh, moved into a flat there to wait for a kidney. And I think at that time, we really, really prayed so hard for God to to provide for my father so he could have a longer life. And the waiting just, you know, went on for probably about a year, which is not too bad. And um, then, uh, unfortunately, at the cost of one life, he got donated a kidney and it was a perfect match. And at the time, uh, it went, the operation went very well. He got uh, put on cortisone, but unfortunately, within a few days, he developed a very big um, inflammation Uh and to such a point where they couldn't really give antibiotics or because they still had to get the the kidney to adjust to this new body that it was functioning within. And uh, it was probably after a week that uh, my dad was put into isolation and only my mum was allowed to go in with him. We could just sit in a little corridor with uh, windows and curtains on the inside and a telephone on the outside and we could talk to my dad like that. So at the time it was my my brother, myself and my mum. And this particular day um, the doctors told my mum that it's not looking too good. Right. And it appears that, you know, my dad is really on his way out. And when my mom went in to just uh, sit with my dad and wash him before we would go back uh, for, you know, our evening uh, rest back in the flat, my mom was closing the curtains and my dad said, oh, dearest, please don't close that. Look at that beautiful white uh, feature in, in in the light. Mm. And and my mum was really shocked because she knew that wow this was the angel of death coming to to fetch. She, my could,
0: she couldn't see anything.
1: She couldn't see anything, and and he and she turned around and looked, and he said, "Yes, look at that! It's the most beautiful white um, something. I don't know mm. what it's called." It, and then um, my mum was really fearful, and she knew now this is this is the end. So when she came out uh, of that little cubicle, um, she spoke to us and she said to us, like, you know, what has just happened and what her interpretation of that happening was. And then she told us about the doctors who told her that we have to say goodbye to my dad because, you know, the treatment's not working. He's got a really bad infection. And they will have to just, they can't do anything more. So we were obviously very upset and we went back to the flat. We had dinner and the phone rang. And I was the one who went to answer the phone and at the other end was a man and he said, listen, you don't know me. I don't know you. God has asked me to ring this number and tell you to read Psalm 91.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: I mean i don't know what psalm ninety one was yes, it was j- I was just shocked put the phone down and told my mum and my brother what had just happened and um we um it was just before we we were going to read the Bible for the night after we had dinner
0: and these are the days and, of um of landlines and and no no caller idea or anything, so you just had this phone ringing out of the blue.
1: that's correct wow and um so we read Psalm 91, and uh, I want to read. I mean, you guys can go and read it uh, when you have time. But in the last sentence there is, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. It, right. it was incredible. And that is possibly the closest that I've ever felt to God. I wow. know it sounds strange, but I knew that I could just no, reach out and touch him. That's how close he was that night. And that, it was amazing, the peace that, that was in our hearts. So that next morning we went to the hospital and my dad was happy. We thought, wow, wow. is this <laughs> the same person who was dying last night? And the doctors came out and they said to my mom, listen, you know. We don't know what happened. There's no right. sign of any infection. We don't know what happened here. And I think one of the doctors said, you know, if you're a Christian and you believe in miracles, this is what it is. Mm. So my dad lived to see me or to hand me over to Andre to give me away. And he saw three of the granddaughters. Wow.
0: Wow. So I mean, how many? Uh, that, that would have been a long. Um, that would have been several years from that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, on the date marked, probably very close to twelve years, between eleven and twelve years.
0: Wow, that's in, that's incredible, um, Herna. And amazing, like you say, the the um, the sense of connectedness with God is almost just absolutely uh, tangible in that moment. Wow.
1: Her-
0: yeah, Hena, how do you um? You know, I said on on Sunday that um, you know, we need to remain in the. Well, I didn't say Jesus said remain in the vine, but um, we need to stay connected with God and and now and into the future. And and now is where we find our sense of joy, and in the future we find our our sense of hope. Um, but we do live in a busy world, and I think you're one of the busiest people I've ever come across. Um. <laughs> How do you how do you remain connected to God in the busyness?
1: I think um, I think you mentioned that in your sermon as well. Connectedness. There's not. There's no ideal time for connectedness. I think it's it's to try and be connected all the time. And I think we have to see our lives like with Wi-Fi. If we don't uh-huh. have Wi-Fi, the world's just not right. And I think um, I, I try and be connected with God all the time. I know that sometimes we we do dwell off in our thoughts and in our um, in our work as well because life do get busy. And it's amazing when life gets so so busy. I find that I don't hear His voice, and I don't, and I know that I don't have the space to to really get those messages from Him. And uh, that makes me realize, Hannah, it's, it's time to slow down. You're not getting those messages that you are used to. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's very easy to get to disconnect because, as I said to you earlier today when we were talking, when life treats you well and everything's going well, that is where people easily disconnect with God. Yes. Yes. And it's when life becomes tough and challenging that people are looking for, for that connection. And right. I think God has a way to to keep us connected to him or to make us aware of the fact that, you know what, you, you have been disconnected. And it's when we are pruned in life, that's what I always call, I, I think God is the big gardener in, in life. We are the trees mm-hmm. and he keeps pruning us so that we can carry the fruit that he wants to see us as bear. And and I think, you know, he just makes sure that uh, he makes us aware of those times that we are disconnecting with him. But, yeah, it is very easy to disconnect to God and especially when it's, it's really, really get, going well and uh, we don't have too many challenges.
0: Right. Right. Hannah, hmm. speaking about that um connection and and the challenges and that sort of thing, is there a time when um when you've had to really trust with a sense of future hope um where where maybe things uh haven't been too easy to understand or or the picture you've seen in the beginning um you just it, it doesn't make sense, but you've relied on that connectedness to god
1: absolutely I think um uh uh, immigration is one of those uh, examples. Okay. When uh, it was really interesting how it all happened. Uh, some of Andre's elderly patients were um, in South Africa, sit uh, in front of him, uh, crying about all their kids being overseas and, you know, they really missing their grandchildren. And because of the situation in South Africa, Andre and I always decided that we will work hard to take to, to give our kids the opportunity to go to the best schools, go to the best universities, so that they have the option to leave the country if they have to and if things aren't very stable. Yes. So when these patients were sitting in front of him crying about you know, how much they miss their, their kids and their grandkids, Andre said to me, you know that's what we are working towards, and he said, "Don't you think it's better that we make a plan and leave with the kids rather than being left by ourselves so um I wasn't very keen on that idea because I'm very close to my mom and my brother, and i didn't I didn't want to leave my family, mm. but I didn't really share that with andre. I thought, okay, let's do the uh, well, one night, Andre came and woke me up, and he said, Hannah, I applied for a, for a job in, as I said before, Bundaberg. <laughs> and I said, so where is Bundaberg? And he said, oh, it's somewhere in Australia. They talk about the city of Bundaberg, so it must be a very large place. Right. And uh, so the next day, we actually looked it up to see that it was like on the eastern coast, coast of Australia. And uh, we started to get the trip, uh, as we call it, the LSD trip, but I'll have to clarify that. That's look, see, and decide <laughs> to Australia. And um, I, I was adamant that it's just a little holiday for me. There's no way I will leave my family in South Africa. My roots are are too deep to leave them there. Right. And... Um, Martin Strawn and his wife, Jean, opened their house and their hearts to us and um, gave Andre an opportunity to start a life in Bundaberg. And we are very grateful to them today for giving us that opportunity. We met quite a lot of people on those few days that we were in Bundaberg. And um, I said to Andre, how are you able, how are you going to do your job in Bundaberg? There's not an ICU. There's not a cath lab you won't be able to do anything here. Yes. And I remembered Andre telling me, can you imagine what I can create here? Right. So, um, the morning after we met with uh, a couple of the local doctors, we just blended in. It felt like we've known these people for many years. And uh, we walked back to, uh, I think it's uh, Ocean Shoreline, no shoreline apartments in Bogara where we stayed and uh, that morning Andre got up and he said to me oh, Hannah I'm so confused I really don't know what to do mm. and against everything that I planned against everything that I wanted to do I just knew that we had to relocate to Bundaberg I still yeah. don't know why but yep And and I said to Andre, don't worry. I know we have to come to Bundaberg.
0: Well, that's I mean, that's that future. You know, that soul connectedness and relying on God for the future.
1: Yep. And and I think because that was an incentive, or not an incentive, but like a guidance from God. Really, it all just worked out. Mm. It didn't go without challenge. I have to say. Yes. But. But it was amazing how God carried us through every every little challenge, so that we could try and make a difference in the community that we were assigned to.
0: Absolutely. Uh, speaking of those challenges, Huna, I um, I told a story on Sunday where uh, I was driving along to Gympie this past week, and um, and and somebody was uh, was really showing me some rude gestures out of their window, and. Uh, and I, st- I still don't know why, but um, <clears throat> but I use that as an example of, of how when we are connected with God, we begin to see people uh, through different eyes. I know, uh, you know, the challenges you speak of, but um, wh- why do you think we struggle to see people through Jesus' eyes?
1: I think it's those perceptions that we have and uh, we judge what we see. And uh, we know that every action has a reaction, but unfortunately, we don't always see the action; we only see the reaction. Mm. And I think as we get older and we get a little bit wiser, we we learn to look into what caused that behavior. But I think it's just a natural thing to look at someone and just you know write them off in a way because they don't conform with what you believe is the norm. And I think that I have learned also in my, in my job, um, in the steps course, not to judge a book by its cover. Right. Sometimes I get students in and you can just see that they, they've got a lot of miles behind them. Mm, mm. And then once you start to talk to them and see what they have in their hearts, they just salt off the earth. Well, and seeing them as Jesus sees them. Absolutely. Mm. And it's just amazing to see with the guidance of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit that I rely on every day to guide them to find their purpose. And and I think, you know, we have to really learn to look at, you know, there's a reason why they are in places where they are. mm
0: absolutely yeah and i'm sure herner that if we had time uh, there would be many of those students who could probably testify to how how they've been helped by you along the way and i know i'm going to just overshoot time by a minute here but i wanted to just come back to something you said and it's not on any questions we've spoken about but um you said something about the students uh feeling um, uneasy about coming to church and, I mean, this is for, for all churches. It's not just for the Uniting Church. What do you mm. think the church can do? What, what, how can the church be a place where they would be more comfortable to, to come to?
1: Stuart, to be honest, I've thought about that very long and hard, and, and I don't know because I have asked those students to even go to church with me, and I know some of them have done that but then they they feel um they just feel out of place and i think sometimes people give up too easily mm. because connections take time yes and and i think you know going to a church as well i look at all the people we have in our church and the way we were welcomed into the uniting church community and i just think it was it was amazing it was so different from what I expected, mm. but we were used to a church environment, and I think if people aren't used to a church environment, um, it is, it's that fear of being judged, I think, and I mean, we know that um, the people in our church, the whole congregation, they, they are, they open their hearts and their arms to anyone who want to enter their door, uh. but I, I, I think the informal churches that you have on a on a Sunday evening, that really opens that opportunity. But I still don't know why people wouldn't take that opportunity.
0: I'm I'm hopeful that that one of the one of the advantages or no, advantage is the wrong word, but one of the positive things to come out of coronavirus is that people who are scared to go into church can now see church in the comfort of their homes and maybe find out that it's not such a a daunting thing
1: absolutely absolutely and I think you know it's normal people who are not high and above anyone uh, and and I think in a way they feel that they will be judged but it's not the case at all and we know that
0: absolutely Herne, we are out of time, but I just wanted to thank you for uh, your, your willingness to be on and also your openness and honesty and for sharing with us some of your experiences as we hear these stories. It, um, it just, it's encouraging and helps us and con- connects us in our own faith. Thank you for doing that and send our love to Andre and, and all the girls as well.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Stuart. It was, it was lovely to talk to, to you on this platform.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Herna.
1: Have a good good evening.
0: Friends, as we uh, close off tonight for Connecting Conversations, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much for the comments that have come in. It's been great to see. and, uh, And this has been another episode of Connecting Conversations. We look forward to catching up with you again next week. Have a wonderful evening. God bless.